It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing on Frith Street in Soho, W1. A few doors down from the cafe, where the Terror of Malta didn't pay for a cup of tea. A few doors up from the Blackout Ripper's erectile dysfunction. A few doors opposite of the infamously boring death of William Hazlitt. And several doors up from the so-called Battle of Frith Street where two sad little street toughs had their petty spat ended by a lady greengrocer who whacked these prized dickheads over the bonds with either a vase, a ladle, or some weighing scales. Not coming soon to Murder Mile, because it's a load of old crap. At 62 Frith Street currently stands Circa, a small ground floor club in a four-story Victorian terrace. Described as Soho's leading gay bar, it boasts a long line of red-cheeked men sucking hard on thick pink straws. A chorus of excitable bums squeaking eagerly on waxed leather chairs. A resident DJ, who many reviews state gets a tad tetchy should anyone dare to make a request. And what their website hails as the hottest boys around. Although probably that's down to the faulty aircon. In the late 1960s, at 62 Frith Street, stood Gigi's. A classic Soho strip club where drunk men paid over the odds to sit in the dark and leer at a bored-looking lady undressing in the hope of seeing a nipple. On Thursday the 23rd of November 1967, just shy of midnight, Eric Simmons and David Williams entered Gigi's. They paid their money, they had a drink, they watched the show, and then seven words were spat. Three strangers met that night, one with a job to enforce a futile rule, two who were furious over a pointless principle, And with no one benefiting either view, nobody won, and a life was lost. 
My name is Michael. I'm your tour guide. And this is Murder Mile. Episode 222. The Five Shilling Striptease. On the 12th of December, 1967, a Great Marlborough Street police court, 29-year-old Alfred Saliba, the new manager of Gigi's striptease, was charged with the murder of a customer in his club. Only he didn't have a history of violence, and he wasn't defending a friend. He was just an ordinary man doing his job. Alfred Joseph Saliba was born on the 13th of September 1938 in Bacara, a prosperous city in central Malta. As the fifth youngest of eight children, with four brothers and three sisters, he said his childhood was happy and uneventful. Educated to a semi-literate level to the age of nine, for two years this dirty little boy sold peanuts on the street and worked on building sites as a labourer to support his family. Seeking better prospects, in February 1954, the Salibas emigrated to Perth in Western Australia. And whereas by the time that most kids had left school and had no idea what a hard day's work even was, age 16, Alfred had been grafting for seven years and he was skilled as a hod carrier, a tiler, and a roofer. In 1958, keen to carve out his own career, alongside his brother Charles, they started trading as CNA Limited, doing wall and floor tiling from their parents' home in Bassendine in Perth. Alfred was hardworking and proud, but this was not to say that he didn't drift a little wide for the law or subtly skip an odd rule or two when it suited him. But far from being a big criminal, like most people, he saw a little fib or a cheeky sleight of hand as nothing more than doing right by his family. On the 16th of July 1957, a Perth police court, Alfred was fined $5 for stealing bicycle spares. On the 4th of August 1958, he was fined $10 for larceny. On the 20th of May 1963, he served a month in prison for driving while disqualified. And on the 5th of January 1967, he was fined $142 for stealing building materials from houses which were under construction. Two months later, his company folded and he was left penniless. Age 28, with no job, no home, and a criminal record hanging over his head, he decided to try his luck elsewhere, in the far less sunny and windswept isle of gloomy old Britain. Arriving on the 28th of August 1967, amidst a wall of perpetual drizzle, the drone of factory-produced pop hits, 
and food, redefined as an endless stew of pig's bits and fried shit swimming in a sea of grease. Still sporting the scars of the Blitz, and a whiff of free love, but mostly B.O. London would be his new home. Unlike many who had snuck into the country dishonestly, Alfred did it right. He had a passport, a visa, and a six-month work permit. So once he'd made enough money, his plan was always to return back to Australia and rebuild his life. So why did he travel halfway across the world just to find work in Soho? Soho in the late 1960s was far from the gentrified, carbon-copied haven for hipsters that it's become. A puke-inducing, hermetically sealed series of unique boutiques. Like an S&M shop where they sell gimp masks made of fair trade hummus. An ethically sourced sanctuary for homemade avocados. And a pedal-powered, cyberpunk, manscaping shop titled Hairy Junk. For tossers called Tarquin and Fenella. The Soho he arrived in was a grim and grimy cesspit of squalor, set in a rabbit's warren of dark and dingy dives, which reeked of stale beer, salty piddle, steamy plops of both dog and human varieties, and often semen. And although unemployed for the first five months, far from the top of his list of preferred jobs, was to be racially abused by drunken deadbeats staggering from titty bars with empty pockets, a rancid liver, and their perky little pink purses pointing the way to a prostitute's boudoir. And who would? But then again, so heard of a rich and vibrant community of Maltese expats who worked in bars, clubs and restaurants, who spoke his language, who maybe knew his name and could help out with a job. Willing to do anything to pay his rent and to set aside a few quid in savings. Having first worked at the Taboo Strip Club on Dean Street. On the 15th of November 1967, Alfred Saliba became the manager of Gigi's Striptease at 62 Frith Street. Alfred had only been in the job for one week, when seven words spat would lead to a murder. Gigi's wasn't anything special. Far from being on par with Paris's most infamous burlesque show at the Folie Bergère, Gigi's was just a run-of-the-mill Soho strip club. Set between an Italian eatery, a gentleman's outfitters, and sharing half of the ground floor with a hairdresser's and a mucky bookshop. It had all of the discretion of a drooling man wearing a sandwich board, which read, I'm here to see titties. As a thin entrance of just four foot wide, 
To the right were a set of dark steps leading down to the basement club below. And to the left, visible to the whole street, regardless of who was walking by, whether a kid, a nun, an incensed brood or a part-time gynecologist, sat a booth where the pissed-up punters parted with their hard-earned coinage to cop an eye at a lady's jiggling jugs and its unsubtle signage. Surrounding the door, with its text in gaudy colours, and a cartoon of a naked lady, suggestively showing off a slice of bum and a sliver of side boob, Gigi's proudly declared that for just five shillings, or just six pounds today, come and see the most daring show in Soho, featuring 16 lovely ladies from all over the world. Oh yes, exotic girls from such far-flung places as Grimsby, Dumfries, Swansea, and maybe even Croydon, in a fully produced, lavish spectacle, with continuous shows from 1pm to 1am. Available from weekday lunchtimes, for those whose digestion is ruined if they don't see a stunner's chest sacks as they munch on a sandwich, up until 2am on Saturdays, for those who can't get sleepy unless they've gawked at some jiggling norks. And respectfully, starting a little later on Sunday afternoons, so the Reverend doesn't miss Mass. Given its clientele of sad pervs and seedy drunks, Alfred was hired as a reliable, hard-working and a well-built man of 5 foot 10 inches tall and 15 stone in weight. So if he had to, he could handle himself. And in a place like this, he had to. Gigi's was one of several Soho strip clubs owned by Big Frank Misford. Weighing as much as an ox, being as surly as braised beef, and as prone to explosive outbursts as a knackered banger, Frank was the leader of the Syndicate. A criminal gang who from the 1960s to the 1980s ran the bulk of Soho's sex clubs, gambling dens and prostitution rackets by bribing the police and engaging in gangland war. 1960s Soho was a volatile place, made worse as since the expulsion of the Messina brothers and the deaths of Red Max Cassell and Roger Vernon, rival gangs had picked over the carcass of Soho's sex trade. And whereas once, one-eyed Tony Couchy had been Big Frank's business partner, now they were bitter enemies. In a campaign of terror, between these two over-caffeinated tosspots with high blood pressure, sore knuckles, and statistically very small penises, Couchy initiated a series of firebombs to take out his rival's clubs, including three which were owned by Big Frank. In February 1966, a petrol bomb set the America Club ablaze on Greek Street, 
forcing nine people to jump from the second floor windows, none of whom were gang members. Three months later, a bomb ripped apart the Luigi Club, also on Greek Street, injuring three punters and a dancing girl. On the 25th of November 1966, a blast at the Keyhole Club on Old Compton Street damaged the neighboring flats. And unironically, on the bomb fire night of the 5th of November 1966, Gigi's on Fifth Street was firebombed. Thankfully, no one was hurt. But with the club being gutted, tensions remained high. And as the bombs continued across Peter Street, Rupert Street, Dean Street, and Mayor Street, the deaths mounted. On the 18th of February 1967, Tony Couchy was arrested. Tried at the Old Bailey, he was convicted of causing malicious damage unlawfully possessing explosives and Big Frank told the court that he lived in fear. So by the time that Alfred Saliba had began working as the manager of Gigi's, although it had been renovated, it was barely one year since the bombing and just nine months since Couchy's conviction. Nerves were rightfully rattled by any worker at one of Big Frank's strip clubs. Only it wasn't a firebomb, a gangland feud, or a petty spat between two twats in the Maltese Mafia, which ignited this fuse of murder. But a grey area of the law, which the police weren't bothered about. Squeezed into a suit jacket, a pair of dark trousers, a blue shirt, and a set of suede shoes. As the newbie, Alfred was keen to impress, to do a good job, to enforce the rules, and to take no shit from the slew of drunken deadbeats who would stagger in, looking for boobs, booze, and hopefully get a boner, only to get all bent out of shape when they realized the club was a con, even though everybody knew that. The Swiss was simple. Outside, there were several signs of all varying shapes and sizes. One read, Entry, five shillings. Which was true, as the entry into the club was five shillings. And another read, The most daring show in Soho. Which was a slight fudge of the facts. But who's going to quibble over what's daring, when, as a saddo, who probably tugs his pud to the bra section of the Freeman's catalogue. A sexy strumpet, with all the fleshy goodness that God delivers, is dazzling his eager peepers by waggling her danglers. The signs said it all. Five shilling entry, sixteen lovely ladies, and striptease. Of course, once this desperate punter had parted with their five shillings to gain entry. What they didn't know was that everything else cost money. Whether that's the overpriced, lukewarm piss that they dared to call beer, access to the world's grubbiest loo, 
still speckled with a plethora of plop from the Jurassic era. And as the customers descended the dark grubby stairs to the saddest little room, which consisted of 20 folding chairs, a spotlight, and London's most lackluster stripper, slowly removing more clothes than probably exist in her whole wardrobe. They either had to pay more money in the hope of seeing an ankle, or leave. The con preys on two types of shame. The first is to sit alone in a dark room with a hard-on, surrounded by six other sad gits sporting boners that they dare not touch, while a bored lady swings her milkmakers to the music, dreams of a better life than this shit, and glares at them with absolute contempt. Or number two, they walk in, realize they've been conned, and then stand there like prized prunes with nowhere to go but out. Legally, the club doesn't have to dole out a refund, as with the dubious wording and their terms and conditions perched behind the ticket booth where a gruff, slightly surly doorman growls. They know no one's going to read them when they've got a raging pocket rocket and an overwhelming need to see Ariola. It's a con, but it's not strictly illegal. Thursday the 23rd of November 1967 was an ordinary night at Gigi's on Frith Street. As being cold and wet, it wasn't particularly busy. Inside, under the hot lights, a steady stench of sweat rose as a thin line of slightly soggy men in woolen suits slowly dried. As they tried their best to get their 15 shillings worth of titties. That night, two new punters to visit this pokey little cesspit of pseudo-sex in Soho's seedier parts were 46-year-old David Sinfell Williams and his pal, 48-year-old Eric Thomas Simmons. A singletons who shared a lodging at Cromwell Road in Hayes End. They often came into town for beers, a chat and a bit of fun. Employed as an engineer, having served as a merchant seaman during the war, David lived for a while in New York where it is believed he met Eric. And being a thin man with a natty little moustache and a crown of brown hair, he was no bother to anyone as like his pal, he didn't get bladdered and wantonly start fights. Eric was a local lad who was born in East Sheen in Richmond. Being the same height as David, but solidly built, Eric was a salesman at Wigglesworth & Co., a fibre merchants in the city who specialised in the sale of natural fibres like sea cell, abaca, jute and flax. And with neither man having kids nor being married. Although there's nothing less heterosexual than sitting next to your best pal while your plonker gets hard. 
why they chose to come to Gigi's that night would be no real mystery. Only this time, seven words would end in murder. And it was all because of a pointless rule. David would state, We arrived there about midnight, and having each paid their five shilling entry fee, with nothing mentioned about any additional extras, the two men descended the stairs. The hallway down to the basement was like a descent into hell. If hell had hired a blind bookie to decorate it with dirty walls, broken tiles, and a maggot's nest of spent cigarette butts, like a distress call written in Morse code. Being a venue about as erotic as off yogurt, as they entered the basement, they would have been hit by the funk of spilled beer and men's stains, owing to the spotlights being on for the last 11 hours. And with the floor sticky and the chairs even stickier, although a cheap renovation had been made since the petrol bomb had gutted it, it may have been better to set fire to it again, incinerating the swarms of bacteria. David told the court, We went downstairs and we watched a show. As a girl, possibly performing under the stage name of Fifi from Paris, who was probably called Mildred from Milford Haven, titillated a sweaty line of desperate losers by showing a bit of shoulder, or maybe even a thigh. Coolummy. For ten minutes, they sat, admiring Mildred's knees or whatever, and neither man was harassed. That is until Alfred, the club's new manager, enforced a rule. Alfred would state, I walked over and said, Excuse me, sir, I make one a member and one a guest. As unless one of them paid the club's membership fee, they couldn't continue watching the show they were already watching. Rightly, both men said no. According to Alfred, the moustache man said to me, give me a smoke, which David denied he did. And refusing to pay up, allegedly, he started laughing in my face. In court, David would deny all of this. Alfred denied arguing. And although both men stated that a fight downstairs between them never occurred, Thomas Town, who was watching the show, said, My attention was attracted to a scuffle by the stairs between David and Alfred. They were slapping one another. It went on for about two or three minutes, and then they went upstairs. Which I'm sure you'll agree is riveting stuff. By that point, David and Eric had had enough. The strip tease was about as arousing as cat litter. The beer was as boozy as a Buddhist drinks cabinet. 
and the customer service was about as welcoming as foot fungus. Eric and David were done. They were fed up. They were leaving. They couldn't be asked with arguing over a refund. They were just going to go home, grab a takeaway, grumble about it on the train, and then wake up in the morning with a hangover, a few bruises, and an anecdote to trot out when needed. But as a matter of principle, and doing a good deed by not wanting others to be conned as they had. Seeing four men, George Wilson, Vince Thomas, Gordon Jenkins and Sandy Douglas, at the booth and about to fork out their five shillings each to the doorman, David Williams uttered seven fateful words. Don't go in there. It's a con. Alfred told the court, The two men challenged me. They called me chicken. We started fighting, the three of us. I was in the middle. One punch comes towards me, and then I start punching with my left. I was swinging at them. I hit one of them on the eye. Only neither of the men outside the club that day recalled any of that. George Wilson reported, Eric and David walked down the street. Alfred ran after them and started punching as the two men fell to the ground. Knocked out by a single punch, as he bounced off a parked car, Alfred struck David with a second fist to the face. So by the time he came to, the police were attending to his injuries and his memory was briefly blank. But attacked by one heavy punch to the jaw, which floored Eric in a second, having fallen to the pavement with a hard fast thud. It wasn't much of a fight as neither of the men fought back. Except for a small bruise to his jaw, Eric didn't seem hurt. George would state, He was just lying there. It appeared to me that he was drunk. He moaned as if he was snoring. And then we sat him upright against the railings. A policeman arrived within seconds and called an ambulance. But by then, the damage was done. Arriving at Middlesex Hospital at 12.30am, although Dr. Wingate found very few bruises, efforts were made to resuscitate him. But within minutes, he was dead. An autopsy would confirm that Eric had suffered a subarachnoid hemorrhage to the surface of the brain and the upper part of the spinal cord. Having been knocked unconscious in one punch, the impact with the pavement had resulted in his death. Alfred was arrested three hours later at the Golden Egg Restaurant on Oxford Street. A little heartlessly, Having been told 
Tonight at Frith Street, a fight occurred, and as a result, a man has died. He asked the two officers who had come to arrest him, Can I finish my meal? It'll only take a minute. Interviewed at West End Central Police Station. Alfred gave a statement which was partially true according to his view. But with at least 10 witnesses to everything that had happened. At 4.28pm, he was charged. Tried before Mr. Justice Lyle on the 28th of February 1968. Later pleading guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of provocation, Alfred Saliba was sentenced to 18 months in prison. Passing sentence, Mr. Justice Lyle would conclude, If you conduct your business like this, customers are likely to become dissatisfied. You are young and strong, and you hit them with real violence in a brutal attack. And that's what's so tragically pointless about this case. As none of it needed to have happened. As the rules that Alfred was enforcing weren't his. Just as the club wasn't either. By speaking his mind, David was merely trying to make sure that no one else was conned like they had been. And as a man who, it was stated, hadn't said a word to anyone Eric lost his life over a futile rule, a pointless principle, and a five-shilling striptease. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Fucking hell, Jesus Christ. What hell? That was hard. That was hard. It, hello, folks. Welcome to Extra Mile. Unscripted, unedited bit. Bloody hell. It's Saturday. It's Saturday lunchtime. I thought to myself, oh, finish the script. Should I wait till tomorrow morning to record it or should I do it now? And it's a Saturday and I'm opposite a big park and all the twats around moving their boats. And, oh, and it's a hot day and I thought, 
I'll just do it now. I'll just get it done now. And the second I started um, doing this, uh, there's some some kind of shite going on in the park, and someone's got a big sound system going. Do you know? Because twats like crap music. They're just 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 as a beat, and it doesn't have anything else. So I've been trying to do this with the beat going on. Oh, and then someone stood outside. Uh, with a little, a li- a, one of those little uh, um, soundcore things, listening to their music, and I was like, "There's a big fucking concert going on there, and you're there with your crappy little music piece of shite, listening to shite on your shite." Oh. Anyway, it's done, and it's bloody. I'm going to open some windows. I'm going to open some windows because uh, I had to put all the pillows out uh, to block up the windows and the doors. So. Uh, so you get nice sound. Oh Christ! So you get nice sound. It doesn't sound horrible and all that. But the problem is, I have to sit here and uh, I literally sweating to death at the moment. But here we go. I'll open the window for you. Here we go. This is da, 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 da. boom boom. But you probably can't hear it that well because I do have a condenser mic and my little uh, my little hat that's on it as well. Hang on, I'm just trying to get my... Uh, get on there, you little bastard. I'm trying to get my... Um, um, there we go. The thing that holds the curtains up, the curtain hooks. I'm trying to get the curtain hooks back on. Oh, why do people at fairs always play crappy music? Always crappy music, never nice music, never things that you go, that's nice, I might listen to that. It's always the crappy shite. The, mm, 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 mm. I might do that, I might release an album of just me going that's the other one they do the slightly faster one everyone goes oh what a tune what a tune oh check out the tune oh. there we go you can hear it in the background so anyway oh damn I just thought I'd get it done today, get this done, go to the coffee shop in a bit, start editing, doing some more, and today is my treat day. Treat day, I'm trying to be good at the moment, I'm still sticking to my diet, but I'm trying to be good. So it's Saturdays, I treat myself, even though I'm still a year in, I'm still having my my veggie kebabs every evening, which I I still love, I haven't got bored of them yet. Saturdays, I treat myself, so no beer anymore, I'm kind of off the beers really. I haven't had a cake in a good long while, and, um, trying to eat chocolate back into my system but on saturdays i'll go and buy a nice big tub of ice cream normally the nice vegan ice creams because you don't you don't get those you don't get the, the horrible taste of fat in your mouth that burns when you don't have try this try not having chocolate and fatty things for about a couple of weeks and then have what you would normally have and you realize all the fat that's in it and it starts burning into your mouth and it's horrible so i don't have that anymore i just have uh, one of the nice vegan ice creams that i don't get they don't give you the the headaches either the uh, brain freeze amazing they really are and really tasty um and uh, some pop chips there you go god god michael your life is so exciting isn't it well there you go uh, that's how exciting my life is. Uh, grumbling about shit, serving Eva, obviously, uh, and that's it really. Uh, and doing doing the podcast. I hope this recording went well. Otherwise, I'm screwed. I'm gonna have to try and edit around. Mm, 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 mm. Luckily, I was thinking it because it's a, an episode about Soho and about the the area. It's I think it's gonna be quite a noisy backing track. So actually, having having uh, twat music. 
I'll take off your hat, you can probably hear it better. Is it stopped now? It's stopped now. Utter, utter bastards. Um, maybe I should have taken off your hat at the start. Anyway, so anyway, the, the weather's nice. So I'm going to finish this and then uh, uh, go and get my treats. And then you can probably hear that. Maybe you can't. Um, so, uh, yes, uh, thank you to uh, new uh, Patreon supporters. So thank you very much. Thank you to TJ. Thank you, TJ. Thank you to Georgie Parker. Thank you, Georgie. Thank you to Sarah Fuller. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you to Samantha. I'm guessing that you're like Cher. You've only got one name. So thank you, thank you, Samantha. Uh, thank you, Anne Cashmore. Thank you, Anne. Uh, and thank you, Ivy Stewart. So thank you, Ivy. So that's uh, TJ, Georgie, Sarah, Samantha, Anne, and Ivy. So thank you for becoming Patreon supporters. Uh, obviously, while I was away uh, doing... Uh, uh the daily inches they all went out um um even though i hadn't got a lot going out i still do a lot of stuff on on patreon so every day i do little pictures uh so with each of the uh, daily inch episodes there's pictures on there so you can see what i'm talking about and uh every couple of days i do uh, a little walk with me uh recording so i keep you up to date with all the all these new cases that i'm kind of researching and everything else that's going on in life so if you like if you like this this bullshit bit of, of Murder Mile, the extra mile bullshit. If you if you're if you're like, wow, I love listening to a fat bald man waffling on about shit that's unimportant. If that's your if that's your thing, um, on Patreon, there's God, there's about 160 episodes of Walk with Me now. I do one every week, and they're they're exclusive uh, to a patron. So uh, yeah, treat yourself, treat yourself. Um, just wanted to say, uh, Cult with No Name, who uh, do uh, the theme music for Man, uh, uh, Murder Mile. Uh, it's a track called M- uh, Man in a Bag by Cult with No Name. That's the main Murder Mile theme tune. And there's also some pieces, some instrumental pieces that I play throughout the different series. They've got a new album out. It's called X Into I. New album by Cult with No Name. Really good. I really enjoyed it. I was listening to it the other day. I sent an apology to Eric and Johnny because uh, I knew the album was coming out, but I've had a bit of a a weird year obviously with bronchitis and a uh an eye that's still a bit damaged and everything else going on uh so i i I, I just totally forgot it'd gone out so i listened to it and it was really good really good i really enjoyed it it's very upbeat i i do uh regard a cult no name i made reference to them being the uh the godfathers of electronic gloom something that eric said years ago he's like oh oh some classic cult with no name gloom as they call it because they tend to do uh gloomy music but it's this album and the last album it's very upbeat so uh yeah really interesting so uh check it out i'll put a link in the show notes at x into i by cult with no name also that'll be a link to their website as well uh if you hunt out a track called man in the bag that is the murder mile theme tune <sighs> right Let's do the quiz questions and then we'll dive into some extra stuff about this episode. So get ready. Hold on to your socks, folks. Uh, question number one. Uh, name one of the items mentioned at the very start of the episode that the green growth, greengrocer used to end the Battle of Frith Street. Depending on which version of the story you hear, there's, there's three different items. But what, what were one of those three items? Question number two, in what Maltese city was Alfred born? Question number three, what was Alfred's first job as a boy? Question number four, what was Alfred first convicted of? 
Question number five, in which part of London did he live? Question number six, before GG's, in what strip club did Alfred work? Question number seven, how much did it cost in today's money to get into GG's? That's just the entrance fee. Question number eight, who owned the club? Question number nine, on uh, what day was GG's bombed? And question number 10, how many lovely ladies slash strippers were there apparently on stage in the club? So uh, let's dive into some stuff. Originally, what I was going to do with this episode, I I was kind of torn at the start um, because Alfred gave a version and then David gave a version and then the people, uh, the other witnesses around gave other versions as well. And it seemed to be a conflict of opinion. And I thought, well, I'd originally planned to do that because I'd created this episode uh, or or done the research for it ages ago, absolutely ages ago. But obviously by by that point, I hadn't already done the Gun to Padola episode, and the Gun to Padola episode is entirely about perspective. So I realised when I got to this, I couldn't do an episode about perspective. So lucky for you, I decided to not focus on a lot of the details and just make it a good old fun episode with lots of lots of rude stuff in it. Or as I found out the other day on uh, using Microsoft Word, I don't. Microsoft Word is some kind of weird AI on it, and uh, boo AI, boo. Um, I uh, I t- typed in the word striptease and it flagged it up and it said, um, a, a warning, some of your readers may find this word offensive. Striptease. Striptease, really, striptease. I'm sorry, if anyone if anyone is offended by the word striptease, they really need to get a, a job or a life or both. Yeah, but unfortunately, it's an AI, isn't it? And the AI doesn't, doesn't really understand people or life. Anyway, so uh, what I... I'll, I'll, I'll dive into Alfred's version and then David's version and then the other version. So Alfred, Alfred Saliba, gave quite a rough statement. It's incredibly vague when you read it. Um, So he very much comes across just as a man doing his job. So I won't read it all, but kind of bits and pieces say, "Uh, between midnight and half past midnight, two men that I have not seen before came into the club. I was in the bar. So that's downstairs. Um, he said, I walked over, I was still behind the bar, and I said, excuse me, sir, I make one a member and one a guest. And they both said no. Um, so that's the that's the membership thing that they're, they're trying to implement. So you come in, uh, you pay your money, you, you get overcharged for a drink, you sit down and watch a lady not quite getting undressed, and you go, Fwah! and then uh, after 10 minutes, before she even gets her socks off, someone comes over and says, right, you've got to pay triple the money for membership to continue watching the same bloody show that you've already seen, yeah, or else you've got to get out. So uh, unfortunately, it's, it's one of those rules that's on the terms and conditions, but obviously they know people aren't going to look up the terms and conditions. Uh, he said, so the moustache bloke, um, that was David, uh, said, give me a smoke. I said, join the membership first and I give you a smoke. He started laughing in my face. Uh, I said, OK, let's finish all this and give me the tickets. The big bloke, uh, which was uh, the big bloke with the moustache, still David, had the tickets in his pocket. I kept asking for the tickets, but he didn't want to give them to me. He said, you want the tickets and then you asked me to become a member. 
I begged him to give me the tickets and he said uh, I then I said uh, you can now watch the show he didn't give them to me um you can see why I didn't really focus on this in the episode because the story is really boring and dull it's about people giving each other tickets and uh um, there's another guy in there called Johnny Stivala, who was the ticket collector. Uh, he said, I collect the tickets downstairs in the room where the strip show is. I recall two men talking to the defendant, which is Albert. Uh, I didn't hear what was said. I didn't see anything happen. They're surprised. The two customers stayed in the room where, uh, uh, where the show is for about 20 minutes or so. I saw Mr. Williams and the defendant, Albert, leave this room. That would have been around 12.05 a.m. Um his description is incredibly vague as you can appreciate these are people who work with everyone else so they don't want to go to police and go yeah yeah i saw everything this is my description it's like no i was in the room but i must have been looking the other way uh albert said i went up to the doorman upstairs to check if they had brought tickets uh they followed me up after about five minutes they gave me the tickets in front of the doorman this is why i took it out because they actually go upstairs to the dorm and there's an argument about tickets there's an argument about our membership and then they come back downstairs again uh it gets really boring it really is um uh after about half an hour afterwards the doorman came down and said manager can you do me a big favor five minutes on the door or you look after the door so i can shift my car or get a fine again this was unessential to our story i was just like who gives a flying f about a doorman um who uh didn't want to get a parking fine um they but the doorman did admit uh they get uh, the rule is the customers have to pay a membership fee after they pay an entrance fee uh but nothing was said at the door about the membership fee that's the kind of whole thing that's going on here is that is that they go oh there's more rules and you should have read it on the terms and conditions but you didn't um also a lot of confusion as well david kind of says that they each paid five shillings each to get in but then later on he says they paid a total of 25 shillings now my maths may not be amazing but five shillings plus plus five shillings is not 25 shillings uh so there's a lot going on there and then later on he said uh, that they paid 10 shillings each so even with his story there's a lot of confusion on this um with albert he said more customers came in oh, hang on uh which who am i looking at here hang on who am i looking at so many people with their with their statements i just gotta make sure i get the right one um he said okay so when they went back upstairs they saw the new people coming in and albert said both of them spoke to the new customers they said to them don't go in there because you have to pay five shillings for a membership when you go downstairs i kept asking them to leave them alone because i got a business to run good use of english there um just like myself uh they kept saying the same words uh to the customers so then the customers didn't want to join uh so i challenged the two men they called me a chicken so that was that uh, we started fighting the three of us i was in the middle one punch comes towards me and then i start punching with my left hand you can see i've hurt my hand he did have uh, injuries to his hand from punching people in the face uh, i was swinging them about i hit one of them in the eye i then ran away both of the men fell to the ground when i hit them albert said i became afraid so i ran away i then think that i better tell the police which he didn't do uh so i told some man to tell the police where i was see how vague it is he's working in in a in a place with all these people who he knows or he should know after at least a week if you're the manager and he says i don't know the man's name 
Uh, I don't think he identified it. I uh, Then I went to a cafe in Oxford Street and waited for the police. He didn't wait for the police there. He went off there to go and get some food. Um, interestingly, the, um, the Golden Egg Cafe, uh, so if you know where we are on this site, so obviously Oxford Street is huge. Uh, to walk it is probably 15 or 20 minutes, depending on your speed. Uh, so, it's, so it's a bit of old old trek. Um, where the strip club is in Soho, that's on the almost on the far right hand side near Charing Cross Road. You, can't, you can't, probably can't get any further over. The Golden Egg Restaurant is on the far, uh, no, the far eastern side. The, the Golden Egg is on the far western side, so it's it's about a twenty minute walk away. So it's a real trek. So of all the places that were open, he could have found a cafe in Soho, but he didn't. He walked he walked about two miles away to go to this cafe and says he waited for the police but he didn't the police had to come and find him um to uh eric fell uh just in front of the the railings uh at 61 frith street so just next door he literally traveled a couple of feet if that didn't travel too far um David said, on the night of Thursday, the 23rd of November, 1967, I went with Eric into Soho. Uh, we went to a club called Gigi on Frith Street. We arrived about 11.30 p.m. to about midnight and paid 25 shillings for both of us to go into the club, which was incorrect. Uh, having paid the entrance fee, we went to a room downstairs and we got there and watched a show. Eric was asked for the tickets by the defendant, Alfred. Uh, so he's flipped it around. He said uh, it was Eric who was doing the asking. It was actually David who was doing the asking. Uh, Eric was called aside. I did not hear the conversation downstairs between Mr. Simmons and the defendant, which is Albert. Um, in his statement, he doesn't mention anything about laughing in Albert's face or saying, give me a smoke. Uh, no mention of a scuffle. Uh, he says, this is my favourite statement. Uh, the next thing I remember uh, was that I was upstairs. <gasps> it's it's amazing he must have either vanished or floated or something like that somehow even though he hadn't drank that much he he was downstairs and then suddenly he was upstairs at the booth oh how did that happen um uh, he said we had to pay uh, we said we had paid he said we had to pay for a membership uh we said that we didn't know anything about a membership fee see how interesting this is this is why i took it out uh we then went downstairs again with the defendant then i was watching the show we stayed there watching the show wonderful wonderful statement this we stayed there watching the show this is still the same statement we stayed there watching the show for about 20 minutes and then having seen the show i came out with the deceased obviously Eric wasn't deceased at that point because that would make for a really weird show. If you were sitting watching a stripper with a dead man, I mean, maybe some people do that. When I passed the pay desk at street level, there was a man who had paid some money to the defendant. Um, David says nothing about the, the kind of the warning on here about don't go in there. It's a con. He says nothing about that. He says, I remember leaving the club, Mr. Sim I mean, maybe he was hit on the head. Uh, maybe that caused some kind of temporary injury but they said he didn't seem to suffer any kind of real physical damage uh, mr simmons and i started walking along fifth street the next thing i remember was that i was on the floor cut and bruised four chaps from the north that's the guys who were on their way in they called them the chaps from the north helped me and came over to my friend with me uh, they were holding him and I got up to go to him. I did not see who it was who caused me to fall and become injured. I had not noticed these three, four persons from the north before. Um, 
I, as mentioned, there was a, a guy in there who was a barman called Thomas Town. Uh, he said, at about 11.40 p.m. on Thursday, the 23rd of November, 1967, I went to the GG Club on Fifth Street. I paid 10 shillings to enter. See, a different price for him as well. And went downstairs. Maybe he was a, um, a member pervert uh where the show was being held and i paid a further five shillings so five so the cost for different people seems to be very different i paid the five shillings to the defendant who is alfred uh in his statement he mentions doesn't mention anything about laughing in the face or give me a smoke he says whilst i was watching the show my attention was attracted to a scuffle by the stairs i'm sure the lady who was doing the strip tease was absolutely delighted by the fact that he was he was distracted by some men fighting and not her getting undressed um uh involved in the scuffle were an elderly gentleman that's david williams uh, and the defendant albert saliba they seem to be slapping one another lovely it kind of reminds me of, of monty python uh, and telling one another to go upstairs i did not hear what the argument was about the argument went on for about two or three minutes uh, they then went upstairs they were there uh, there were about two or three people around the defendant mr williams uh and i think that's kind of it uh i carried on watching the show for about 10 minutes and then i saw the two gentlemen come downstairs they looked around and went back upstairs one was mr williams how exciting was that very exciting this is this is whoa you can see why uh um i skimped on a lot of this story um george williams uh, so there's uh, the the men from the north as they call them george williams was a distribution manager from west london alexander vincent vince thomas was a regional manager from cardiff all right but uh, gordon jenkinson was a sales manager from solihull all right mate and Alexander McLeod Douglas, known as Sandy, was a contracts manager from Glasgow. An eight pal. It must have been an interesting night. Uh, George said, I stopped outside of the cl a club called Gigi on Fifth Street and decided to go in. Uh, at the pay desk, we were asked how much it was to go in. The man, Alfred, behind the pay desk said it was 12 shillings and sixpence. So again, the cost has changed. So even though it's five shillings per person to go in... Um, that should have been 20 shillings, but they're being charged 12 shillings, sixpence each. Uh, we were asked if we would like to go in for the sum of uh, 12 shillings and sixpence. We were debating on whether to go in or not. There was another two men standing beside the cash desk. One was Mr. Williams. They said, don't go in there. It's a con. Uh, they will ask you for more money when you get to the bottom of the stairs. Uh, Vince said at that time two gentlemen came out almost immediately they came to our group and said don't bother to go into the club because you will be charged an additional sum of money I think he said five shillings to go downstairs and Gordon confirmed that uh, they said don't go in there because your ten shillings doesn't get you to see the show you have to pay another ten shillings inside to get to see titties uh, David said we have been caught out and we don't want you uh, to be caught the same uh they described it uh sandy described it as two men seemed to be having a mild argument with a man who was an employee of the club club who was standing in a short shirt at the entrance i'm struggling to read now uh the two sandy said the two men kept grumbling on about what the entertainment had cost and made a move towards the street the man behind the desk who was albert said you uh will you two be quiet and get yourselves away one of the two men replied that they were only trying to help us, uh, that they didn't want to be taken 
in like that. Vince said the, the defendant told them to stop annoying the customers. The gentleman then proceeded outside onto the pavement and turning to us, one said, we're only asking them to accept our advice or not, or words to that effect. Um, with that, the men proceeded out of the club and along the street. As you can see, there's no mention of anyone being called a chicken and no mention of three people uh, fighting outside. Uh, so even George confirmed, I use this in the episode, uh, uh, they then walked out of the street and the man behind the counter, Alfred, ran round after them and started punching them. In turn, the two men fell to the ground. Vince said, the defendant shouted, are you looking for a punch-up? Because that's what everyone says when they're going to have a fight. Are you looking for a punch-up? Uh, and he burst through the four of us and he came through uh, as he came through he said excuse me gentlemen and then this is albert and then proceeded after the two who had just left the club as he approached this happened very quickly the two heard something from behind they turned um sandy said eric was lying face down on the pavement not moving at all there was one heavy punch which struck the stout man in the kidneys that's eric uh, and having done this, the counterman, Albert, turned to the thin man, uh, David, <laughs> who was just in the process of getting up and punched him extremely hard in the face, knocking him down again. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Um, boat about to go past so the microphone might rock around everywhere. Um, uh, so Albert, uh, Albert, I keep calling it Albert, Alfred Fred. I hope I haven't done that with the episode. That'll be really annoying. Alfred uh, fled. Um, uh, police arrived. Uh, PC uh, Alibi, PC 515C, arrived at 12.15am. A small crowd gathered. He said, I saw one man lying on the footway on his back and another standing near him. His shoulders were resting against the railings. His head was bowed. His right leg was crossed underneath. I noticed saliva from his mouth. He appeared to be unconscious. Um... Uh, and then he was taken to a hospital. So Eric arrived at hospital. Uh, as mentioned, Dr. David Wingate, who was on duty, said, I found no external marks of injury. Efforts were made to resuscitate him, but he was dead. So it's interesting that David had more injuries, but Eric was the one who ended up ended up dead. Um, interesting. So if you go back to the uh, New Blue, and I did the episode with uh, the two detectives, so John and Sally, I did ask them about... Um, do you ever do a chalk outline of a body? Well, please do. They do do, or they did do chalk outlines. So in this episode, uh, I was looking at, um, uh, on the, the crime scene photos, there's a chalk outline of Eric. Now, Eric had already been moved by the ambulance by that point because he was still alive. But the police officer who turned up got a chalk, got the chalk, and he chalked the outline of exactly where the, where the man was slumped. So the police do do chalk outlines, but obviously they do it when the person who w is about to die or the person who dies hasn't died yet and is obviously at the hospital. Um, they found blood on the curb. Where there were spots of blood. There was a swab taken, which was handed to the lab. Uh, obviously, further swabs were taken at Eric's autopsy uh, and a. A sample was taken from Albert Saliba and David Williams. Obviously, um, Alfred, I've written Albert in there as well. Uh, Alfred Saliba was group AM, which is 12% of the population. Uh, David Williams was group AB negative, which is 1.5% of the population. Uh, and... 
I haven't got Eric's here. Eric's is here somewhere. Um, 3.25pm at the Golden Egg Restaurant at 479 Oxford Street. So that's up near the the kind of the newer Primark. Uh, Detective Inspector Peter Duffy said um, uh, they went to see... uh, I can't remember how they found him there. I've got it written somewhere how they found him, how they found Albert. Albert? Alfred. Oh, my brain is gone. Um, as mentioned, uh, he accompanied me outside. He said, I said to him tonight at Frith Street, a fight occurred. And as a result, a man died. I suspect that you know th- something about it. I cautioned him. Uh, Albert said, Alfred said, is he dead? Uh, I only hit him with my left. You can see my right hand is sore. I noticed that the middle ring finger showed signs of an old injury, which was healing. His left hand showed signs of recent scratches and his thumb was swollen. I told him he'd have to be taken to West End Central Police Station. I cautioned him. uh, And it was while he was there uh, in front of Detective Sergeant Little, uh, who said he was eating a meal. Uh, Detective Inspector Duffy... Uh, said we are police officers i want to speak to you will you come outside and he said can i finish my meal it'll only take a minute lovely he's just found out that a man is dead who he potentially killed and he wants to have his dindins um pretty much the investigation was pretty simple to be honest um not really a lot more to declare about that i kind of covered the case i think that's it i think that's it not that i'm not that i'm busy uh, thinking about my 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 uh decaf soya latte at the coffee shop which i'm going to enjoy uh and my treats this afternoon mm, yummy so uh let's do the uh, quiz questions so let's see how many you got question number one name one of the three items mentioned at the very start that the greengrocer used to end the battle of frith street it was a vase a ladle or some weighing scales don't forget, I haven't edited this bit yet so that some of these answers may not be in there. Oh. Uh, question number two. In what Maltese city was Alfred born? That was Bacara. Uh, question number three. Uh, what was Alfred's first job as a boy? It was selling peanuts. Question number four. What was Alfred first convicted of? Uh, that was stealing bicycle spares. Question number five, in which part of London did he live? That was Pimlico. Question number six, before GG's, in what strip club did Alfred work in? It was called the Taboo Strip Club on Dean Street. Question number seven, how much did it cost in today's money to get into GG's? That was six pounds. Oh, question number eight. Oh, question number eight, who owned the club? It was Big Frankie Misford. Question number nine. On what day was Gigi's firebombed? That was at bonfire night. So the 5th of November 1966. And question number ten. How many lovely ladies, uh, i.e. strippers, were in the club? Well, according to the advert, there were 16 lovely ladies. So there we go. 16 lovely ladies. Brilliant. Uh, All for five shillings. Uh, so that's me done folks i hope you enjoyed that um uh i can't remember what next week's episode is i think that's it so uh have yourself a good week folks stay safe uh be good if you see any djs in a park blasting out uh mm, 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 with noisy speakers please kill them um so have yourself a good week folks stay safe and be good thank you for supporting the show lots of love bye bye 
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.